This is Lifetime Sentence, the podcast where we watch bad Lifetime original movies and compare them to the truly heinous stories that inspired them. Because sometimes the truth really is stranger than fiction. So how's it going? It's going. How are you? Uh, Actually, really good. I've had a really good day. That's good. Yeah, our sermon at church was good, and we hung out with the kids tonight, and Sarah yeah. and I are teaching, like, Sunday night classes now, and um, I, you know, didn't get into that art show that I worked really hard on. I know. But somebody bought the piece within 20 minutes of me saying I didn't get in, so I don't even have to look at it anymore. I love the piece. I I thought it was great. I don't know why I didn't get into that show. Yeah, I'm going to have to go to the show. Like, I wasn't going to, but I think I'm going to have to just to see what beat me. Um, right. To see what I could have done differently. So yeah. I tell my students all the time that failure is not a bad thing. You just have to learn from it. So I have to eat my words and do it too. That's true. So I, today, my friend is moving. And so I went to help which really was just like hold things up and say, do you want this? And when she said no, I took it for myself. That's the best kind of friend to have. Because we have all kinds of new stuff now. Sometimes <laughs> I don't know if I want something until someone asks me that question. I'll mm-hmm. just pack everything I own up in a box and take it, which is why Sarah and I have lived in three different houses. There's stuff from our first house that I haven't touched since we got married. Well, they're basically getting rid of almost everything. So wow. I'm starting from scratch. So yeah. Um, yeah, so I got uh, lots of new stuff. Look at these, like, candlesticks. Aren't they pretty? Ooh, bougie. I know. Yeah, so I did that today, and that's basically and You got it. a fan shout-out yesterday. Let's- <gasps> oh, my God, that's right. And she never answered me. I asked what the name of her friend was. Hold on. Her name was... I'm going to get it wrong if I don't look it up. Yeah, we're going to look it up because we want to shout you out because it definitely made us, like, dance for joy. Abby Bowden. Bowden? Bowden? Abby Bowden. She, um, there was a thread on the Wine and Crime uh, Happy Hour group that was talking about podcasts. And I plugged myself for, I think, the very first time. I never really do that. Oh, I do it in, like, self-promo Saturday in the end. That's why we drink Texas Page, too. But... Um, yeah, I was, that's, this is a much bigger group. And she was like, oh my God, I'm fangirling so hard. So her and her bestie, I asked her for her friend's name and I don't think she saw that, but, um, Abby and her bestie. Hi guys. We love you. We do. You have no idea the little joy it brought us. Actually immense joy it brought us. Yeah. It brought me immense joy because people are like, oh, I'm fangirling so hard. I'm fangirling on our fans so. right that's like last week um one of my coworkers came and knocked on my door and she was like mm-hmm. paul do you have any fans and i was like i do <laughs> and i was like so ready to I tell her tens and, and tens of fans and she was like where are they and i was like i mean i don't know but i was like joey polk likes my singing she said so and she was like my air conditioner is broken in my classroom. Where are your fans? And I was like, oh, no, not that. I don't have any of <laughs> And just to prove how much I love our fans, I watched this movie and I'm not quitting the podcast. Wow. This. Hey, you can't launch into it quite yet. I can't, I, I still barely have words. Okay, okay what's good. up? Uh, well, this is Lifetime Sentence, and I'm Paul. 
I'm Aaron. I need therapy. (laughs) (laughs) We also need an adult to tell us to introduce ourselves. Like, no, it's fine. Uh, So I watched this movie and then I took a picture of my Hulu screen and I sent it out on my Snapchat and I said, this is it. This is the most fucked up movie that Lifetime has ever made. And I can't wait because I read all the middling reviews. So as a movie, it must suck and the content sucks is what it sounds like. Holy crap. This will be the bar by which I measure our other movies. And I I went to go back and find the one that I really hated before because this one is so much worse. Oh, man. You know, I've only watched two, so I don't have a big stick to measure by. And I also have probably more notes. Well, just a little bit more notes than usual. But it's because this movie is so fucked up. I I cannot wait. (sighs) I watched A Sister's Secret, which if you don't have the Lifetime movie app and um, don't record their weird, their stuff on your DVR... Uh, it's on Hulu, so you can go watch it and you can ruin your own life, too. Uh, um, it stars... It's fairly recent, right? It was. It's from 2018. Okay. It stars Margaret and Florence. She plays both Elizabeth and Callie. She plays two people. Yes. Okay. He plays twins. Oh, she Lindsay Lohan herself. Yeah, she did. Um, Donnie Boaz, who was the one good thing about this movie because he's so hot. So hot. Wait, who's this guy? Donnie Boaz. Donnie Boaz. Okay, let's see. Oh, and Margaret and Florence has been in My Super Ex-Girlfriend. Um, some other Lifetime movies, not a ton of stuff. Oh, and she played a Sarah's woman in 30 Rocks, so, you know. He's like, when you said he's so, so hot, I didn't expect this, but he's got a good body. I just found his modeling pictures. He's got a great bod. He's Mm. got, like, guy next door face, which is not bad. Mm. I just, you were like, he's hot, and I was like, this is his face, and I was like, oh, there he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I like him a lot. He, um, is in a movie called Amazing Grace with no G. Yes! You know it's gotta be good. Smoke and Love. Which I might rent and watch that. Um, and A Hometown Christmas. Is that not our our Pornhub or TV, Smoke and Love? That is our Pornhub or TV, okay. I just decided. <laughs> I was like, if there's something worse than that... There's not. Go. Okay, Smoke and Love is the story of two hookah aficionados who meet over the first hookah lounge that opens in um, a cornfield in the Midwest. In a cornfield? Donnie Boaz plays um, Hookah St. James, named after his favorite saint of the hookah. I've just made that up and it sounds appropriate, so we're going with it. Um, and he actually falls in love with Candace Cameron Bure. She mm. plays Hookie St. James, 
coincidental they have the same last name. Um, and it makes it easy when they get married in the end. Hashtag not related. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but then she wouldn't have to change her monogram. And really, that's, that's all, all that we matters. Care about down here. Welcome to the um, South. Mm-hmm. So, Smoke and Love, Max and Taylor are two guys living the small town life. Max comes from a middle class family and is pretty level headed, just looking for his true love. Taylor, on the other hand, comes from a broken home and enjoys partying, weed, and girls. When these two become friends and team up in the pursuit of adventure, the crazy ride begins. This is a, my biography. I can't believe that they made it without asking me. Well, if you're Donnie Boaz, I have it gets me complicated feelings. <laughs> I have been wearing a fat suit for the endur- the entire duration of our friendship. Cool. I'm going to peel it off. I'm actually fatter underneath. I've wrapped myself in Spanx and Saran wrap to squeeze on the current fat suit. <laughs> Josh Ventura, he plays Jackson. Um, he's in a movie called Cloak and Dagger. He was in Nashville. Okay. He played Jack Nelson on Nashville. Um, and he was in The Walking Dead. Okay. Um, and then finally, we have the queen, the real star of the show, the queen of all, Miss Paula Abdul. I was who, going to sing one of her songs as you said her name, and all of them came in my head at one time, so I couldn't pick one. <laughs> she played the character, who cares what who, their name was, because we're just going to call her Detective Paula Abdul. Straight up. Now tell me. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. We open with a swim meet, and it's a relay race. Two of the swimmers are twins. But, uh uh-oh, they switch places, so one of the twins swims twice. They win and talk about all the swapping around they do to cover each other's asses with classes and tests, etc., etc., Then one twin pretends to be the other to flirt with a boy who is young Grady. Ooh. And walks away with the prom date. Um, Is it also young Grady or did she like have to go for plan B? No, it's young Grady. Okay. That's Danny Boaz. Right. I'm sorry. (laughs) Aaron's going to need a second. Yeah. Oh my god. He's so attractive. Um, it's like literally the only reason I finished this movie. Um, they're with their aunt squealing over this boy who then does a half-ass cannonball off the dining board. And I was like, really? <laughs> okay. Listen, Lifetime couldn't afford stuntmen. Also, do-do-do-do. Atlanta, Georgia. Later. I don't know how much later... There's time. Time does not exist. You know that. You know, that's one of the things I saw in one of the reviews. And I'll explain later why I read the reviews. But um, because, you know, I don't normally is they were like Lifetime didn't even give us a time on this. They just. There's no way to know. (laughs) Except I'm assuming that. So they're probably maybe 15, 16. And this thing occurs over their 30th birthday. So that's maybe 15 years later. Okay. Um. A woman walking upstairs in impossibly high heels tells her knockoff Alexa, which actually turns out to be a real Alexa, to play some samba. I hope that 
someone is listening to this out loud at home and their computer mind listens next to me as I record, so I won't say her name, but I hope she just played Samba for all of you. I meant to unplug mine and I forgot. So we'll see if I can get through this. Um, her apartment is super nice and fancy. She FaceTimes her sister whose house is messy. There are kids running around, etc. The fancy sister says that she has to go to a base basketball game with a client. Not fancy says not to sound too excited about that. They talk about the upcoming weekend and not fancy sis says that she wants wine with labels she can't pronounce. And same. Um, I mean, if sis, you get drunk enough, you cannot pronounce any label. So true. <laughs> fancy sis, who turns out to be Liz. Um, what? That's what she says. No. Well, I missed a whole part. And I, I remember typing it out. I did not go into your notes this week. Because not Fancy's sister, like, her husband, who's Grady, who's so pretty, comes in and, like, offers to trade their children for the basketball seats. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, okay. Liz goes to work the next day, and a secretary tells her that someone is in a bad mood. We see through a conference room window a man throwing a whole stack of papers in the air like confetti. Just Oh, like on every, like, um, medication commercial? But they're always, like, happy and dancing and throwing their papers because they finally don't have overactive bladder, but they may have cancer and or die from whatever they ingested. (laughs) That's it. But except this guy's mad. Um, She goes into the conference room and we meet Jackson and he they talk about how that client shouldn't have invested more than he can afford. And they talk about this like people who work for like an investment company, but don't really know what that is. (laughs) They're like investment, escrow, financial, money. Compounding interest. Yes. None of it makes sense. It's great. (laughs) Um, So Liz then offers him a Starbucks cup and says, quote, 2,000 calories in a paper cup? And here's what I want to know. So much that I went to my Starbucks app to check. To see what was 2,000 calories? What the fuck hot grande-sized drink does Starbucks have with 2,000 calories in it? And the answer is they don't. They, she just went and asked them to squeeze the chocolate sauce straight into the paper cup in a grande-sized cup. He... The highest calorie hot grande sized coffee clocks in at about 470 calories. So I guess it's that with like 1500 calories worth of sugar in it. (laughs) It's just a shot of espresso and sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He offers to take her to a fancy restaurant for lunch, but she says she has to get on the road. Um, he then gives her a box from Tiffany and she's like, thanks and throws it in her bag. Um, And then she says, most people would say you shouldn't have, but I'm not most people. And I've never met someone that I'm more like in my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) So this is why you didn't like this movie. You saw yourself. It was like looking into a mirror. Oh no, she does some fucked up shit later. Don't worry. It's Um, like you're my mirror. She 
doesn't open it though, which why? Do you somebody gives me a Tiffany box? I'm like opening that shit like well especially because you don't want it to get confused with all of your other Tiffany boxes that you received from people that day. I have so many. Because I'm looking at the shelf behind you right now and I see seven. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just a regular day. (laughs) (laughs) Not even my birthday. (laughs) Oh, that's so sad. (laughs) Over in Fayetteville, Georgia, not fancy sis, who is Callie, is packing. Her kids call her into the hallway And they're there with a cake and her husband and everyone sings happy birthday. And it's very cute. Um, Her husband doesn't want her to go. He gives her a not Tiffany's box with a bracelet in it, which she opens and starts to cry. He asks her what's wrong. And she says that it's not him. And then she starts to explain, but the kids want cake. So they do that instead. Later, he walks her to the car and says he loves her, but she needs to figure out if she really wants this to work. She says she's trying, and he says that he wants to believe her. So they hug, and she leaves. Wait, so she's running out on the on Danny Boaz? No. Oh, it's the other one. Okay. No, no, no. That's, that's him. Mm-hmm. That's her husband. The other one's single. But she's not. She's not running off on him. They're going to on a birthday trip. Oh. But you really want this to work. Like, you have to figure out if you want this to work. It yeah. sounded like to me that she was, like, leaving. And I was like, homie, let me talk she's to you. She's not leaving, but she's thinking about it. Uh, let me talk to you real quick. I saw his we'll pictures. Okay. He's... I'm being shallow. He could be hitting her, in which case, run. He's not. Okay. He's not hitting her. Okay. Thank you for he's... that. He's so pretty. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, um, so we cut to a lake. And I don't know why, but Liz is already trying to pass herself off as Callie, but their aunt calls them out um, on it. And she's like, she tells her, I'm going to make you eat some hot sauce because one of them likes spicy and the other one doesn't. Um, later, and they Well, put that on- is A plus detective work, which actually sounds like better detective work than almost any police we've heard in any Lifetime movie. So let's hire that aunt to be the lead detective on everything. Oh, look, we'll get to the detective in this movie in a minute. Okay. Um, later, they put on records and dance around while comparing lives. Liz finally opens her Tiffany box, and it's a diamond bracelet. Um, they make fun of uh, Callie and Aunt Rose, make fun of Liz again for complaining about Tinder dates and designer clothes and four-star restaurants. And... Uh, uh, I was trying to think of how she said the word, but now I can't remember. But uh, La Boutin, she, she said it differently. Oh. Um, but she doesn't say Louboutin? Louboutin. Okay. No, maybe she does. I don't know. I like, but that's anyways, the way you say it. Um, maybe. I don't know. Anyways, Liz says, quote, it's not Luby's, it's Manolo's. And I was like, bitch, Luby's is a restaurant. So Right? <laughs> Their aunt makes them make up from fighting, and later by the fire, she brings out their old swimming medals and tells them that she knew that they cheated on the race that time, but it was okay because that's when she knew that they would never leave each other and always be there. Foreshadowing. 
She gives them a pep talk about taking charge of their lives. Um, later, they're sleeping in bunk beds, as grown women tend to do. On their 30th um, birthdays. And talk about switching lives. They vape what I think is supposed to be weed, but I'm not sure. Um, oh, no, it's the Midwest hookah. Oh. This is the sequel to Smoke and Love. <laughs> Kelly says that she's 30 years old, she's bored, and she almost had an affair, but didn't. And she's living four blocks away from the Dairy Queen where they were born. And I was like, I'm sorry. Were they were born, born in the Dairy the Queen? Dairy? <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a much more interesting movie so far. Right? Plus, you missed the golden opportunity to call this movie the Dairy Queens. <laughs> I'm here for it. So the next morning, they pack up and tell their aunt that they'll be back um, in a month for her birthday. Then they drive a little ways down the road, switch jackets and cars. They take a selfie, and then they switch lives. Oh, just that easy. Am I the only one who thinks this is a horrible idea? Yeah, also, so, like, I have taught several sets of identical twins, even, um, I always know them apart. Yeah. Like, if I were married to an identical twin, I would know that it was not Sarah walking in my house the minute she walked in. Erin's shaking her head like I have just unraveled the deepest secrets of the universe, so I can't wait to hear what happens next. I just wrote, upcoming murder aside, what kind of adults cannot see the gaping holes in this idea? For that very reason, like... Hello. Wait, there's a murder? <laughs> yes. You just spoiled the whole movie for me. Now I can't enjoy this. Do you know what kind of podcast this <laughs> is? Fair enough. Oh, gosh. In Atlanta, Callie tells No Name Alexa, let's dance. And then she dances around the apartment. My Alexa does not respond to that command. Um, Liz has left all kinds of fun things for her some wine a new dress raspberries over her in Fayetteville Liz brings everyone gifts like an Xbox and some kind of spinning thing for her brother-in-law um he asks how they can afford Wait, all I this I need more information what is some kind of spinning thing I think it's a fishing thing but I don't know <laughs> okay this is that some spinner you wanted right okay. and I was like hey I don't know what that is perfect um, thanks you cleared it right up. Thank you. He asked how they can afford all this stuff. And at first she says she had money stored away for Christmas. And he's like, well, then what about Christmas? <laughs> and she says, fine, fine. Liz gave me a gift card for my birthday and I spent it on all of you. Um, then Grady notices she's wearing the Tiffany bracelet instead of the one that he gave her. And asks about it. She tells him a very stupid, easy to see through lie. And I guess he buys it because God doesn't give with both hands. And I guess Grady's a little stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, the babysitter who Liz doesn't know then tries to fake off like, oh, her. Yeah. <laughs> Arrives and Liz sends her home. Um, her husband says he picked up an extra shift at work. So she rushes him out the door too, promising to have waffles waiting in the morning when he gets home. 
Liz and Callie talk on the phone. Callie is getting ready to go out in Atlanta. And Liz is trying to remember the family mac and cheese recipe. And I wrote here, I just realized that I'm starving. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron's stream of consciousness brought to you by mm-hmm. Lifetime. Callie goes to a club slash sushi restaurant where there is apparently free champagne and food. Oh, I need to go to this place. I, it sounds like a good time, right? Um, she dances with a guy and then sees Jackson there with another girl. Liz puts the kids to bed and then she calls and then she and Callie FaceTime from the club. Listen, you got to do what you got to do. Have you ever tried to call someone from inside a club? Um, I need you to dial back and ask a question that applies to me. Like, have you ever been inside of a club? Because <laughs> the answer Aww. is no, unless you mean Sam's Club. In which case, yes, I'm a VIP member. Oh, my God. They talk about Jackson and uh, Grady, and Callie says she's going to find out who Jackson is with. And Liz is like, no, like, don't <laughs> fuck up my life, please. <laughs> um. Callie and Jackson talk, and she asks who, quote, Tinderlicious is. No, that's not a, please never say that. And he says, uh, you mean Darcy from accounting? (laughs) (laughs) Oops. Um, this is awful. Then he asks her why she's not wearing the bracelet he gave her, and she stammers that she's waiting for her actual birthday to open it. And then says they should get a drink. Um... Cut to the next morning. They're FaceTiming again. I really half expected Callie to wake up in bed with Jackson, but that did not happen. Um, Liz is getting out of the shower, which is a weird time to call your sister on FaceTime, I think. Either way, they're talking and Grady walks in. He strips down and Liz gets all weirded out because she's not married to him. Her sister is. He says... Well, honey, I know it's been a while, but nothing's changed. I still look the same. And then he notices Callie pretending to be Liz through FaceTime and like totally freaks out. (laughs) Oh, no. (sighs) Liz runs out of the bathroom and tells Callie that this is starting to get weird. And I wrote, starting to? (laughs) Right? Liz wants to switch back, but Callie doesn't want to. She says she's going to the game with Jackson. Liz says no, she really wants to switch back, and Callie calls her a judgmental bitch and then hangs up on her. Later, Callie is standing outside Liz's apartment. She calls Jackson and chastises him for being late for their first date. He pulls up, and she's talking to him on the phone while she's crossing the street to get in the car. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, you hear a car speeding up, it hits Callie, and then speeds away. Yikes. At Callie's house, Liz is taking a nap on the porch. She jolts awake just as Greg brings her the phone. And it's Aunt Rose calling to say that Callie slash Liz is dead. Aunt Rose goes to Callie's house where she immediately realizes that Callie is actually Liz. Shit. She didn't even need the hot sauce for that. No, she starts... Explaining that she wanted a week away, and Rose asks if Grady knows about the switch. Liz says no. Aunt Rose starts crying because I think the only thing more traumatizing about... So she starts crying over the kids. Right. Because I think the only thing more traumatizing than having your mother die 
is having your mother die and not realizing it until later because at the time her twin sister was pretending to be her. Yeah. No, I don't like that. We cut to Liz's funeral where Jackson speaks that he was in love with Liz, even though he didn't know it at the time. And I just want to put a dress code in place for my own funeral. I'll really be going for a certain aesthetic and lifetime. Nailed it. Oh, tell me. So everyone's wearing black. The guys are wearing like suits with like white shirts, black ties, big sunglasses. Everyone has on big sunglasses and hats with veils. Yes. Huh? Everybody better be real fucking depressed that I'm dead. And only wear black for like weeks. Now, I probably haven't told you this, but that's actually how everyone dresses for my birthday, too. (laughs) (laughs) You looked at me for half a second like you thought I was being serious. And I was like, this is the time that I'm actually serious. Yes, I picked now. (laughs) Also, her casket is silver. And even though like I don't want to be buried in the ground because that totally freaks me out. If you got to get me something, silver is the way to go. Wait, you want to be cremated, too? (laughs) Me, too. Hashtag twinsies. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm way too into true crime and shit to want to be buried. <laughs> we already talked about this. I want you to scatter my ashes had. in the laundry. I thought we had, but then I was like, mm-hmm. maybe I dreamt that. No, it was a weird request, so maybe you thought you did. <laughs> I filed it in the not real category. Yeah. <laughs> and ooh, an angry looking man shows up at the funeral. He and Jackson lock eyes, and it's the man who threw the papers at the very beginning of this movie. Color me surprised. I don't know what to do with this information yet. So okay. <laughs> I'm just waiting patiently. <laughs> Liz then gets up and tries to talk about herself. Awkward. But she just breaks down crying, so Grady makes an actually very touching speech about Liz. Um, after the funeral, Aunt Rose tells Liz that she really should tell Grady the truth about everything. And Liz says it will just be easier if she keeps pretending to be Callie because she didn't really have any ties. The kids need their mother. And it's easier for Liz to never be seen again than it would be for Callie. And she owes it to Callie. I, I, no. Um, so everything else aside... It is quite literally impossible to pretend to be another human being for the rest of your life. Like, just don't ever get drunk and maybe you can make it till Tuesday. I'm out. Um, (laughs) She tells Grady that she wants to stay at Liz's house, so they go there. Aunt Rose makes some tea. They put the kids to bed and Liz says she's too wired to have tea and be still. She just wants to get out for a while. She wants to take a walk and get some air. Grady tells Aunt Rose that he's really worried about Callie. There's just something wrong with her. And Aunt Rose is like, very perceptive. Uh Uh-huh. Liz goes to Jackson's apartment and tells him that she's really alive and that she loves him. They hug and go upstairs, but the man from the funeral is watching them through the lobby window. Oh, shit. Cut to the next morning. Grady says that Callie texted him that she was going home and needed to be alone. Aunt Rose says that he should go to work. He'll go talk to, she'll go talk to Callie and get the kids to and from school. 
Aunt Rose goes to talk to Liz and tells her it's not fair for her to do this. It's not fair to Callie's memory to pretend to be her for the rest of her life. Liz tells her that she confessed to Jackson already. And Aunt Rose says she has to find a balance. And Liz says she'll tell Grady the truth that night. That evening, Liz and Jackson are texting. He asks if she's told Grady yet. And she says she's about to with way too many O's for this conversation. Right. Um, Grady comes in and asks who she's texting. And I know you're thinking this would be the perfect time for her to confess. But instead, she says that she's upset because the last thing Liz ever said to her was that she was a selfish, judgmental bitch. Um. You probably, please don't continue to catfish this man in real life. Over in Atlanta, Jackson comes home and the paper-throwing angry man is in his apartment demanding his money back. Jackson says he's calling the cops and the guy knocks the phone out of his hand and they get into a verbal argument. But again, it's just financial buzzwords that don't mean anything. They're like investment, <laughs> embezzlement, dirty money, returns, <laughs> dividend. Yeah, exactly. They're all standing all this while they're standing about two inches apart. They're like nose to nose. Um, I just in my twelve year old brain, I put, oh my god, make out already. <laughs> <laughs> now kiss. <laughs> But instead, Jackson figures out this is the guy that killed Liz slash Callie, and they get into a fist fight. All over Jackson's leather furniture. The balcony door just happens to be open, so Paper Thrower becomes Jackson Thrower and throws him <gasps> over the balcony. Shit. And he did. He did, too? Mm-mm. Paper Thrower cleans Jackson's living room up, looks up some stuff on the computer. Oh, and I, I put looks up some stuff, but really what he did was like type out a fake um, suicide note. Suicide note that just really just said, it's all too much. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but. um, Hey, look, it's Detective Paula Abdul. Yes, she's going to solve it while dancing. She, she arrives at Callie's house to tell her that Jackson is super dead. Um, now, I have a question before yes. we go too far. Mm-hmm. Does she play a detective or does she play Paula Abdul playing a detective? Oh, she plays Paula Abdul playing a detective. <laughs> Perfect. I'm so excited. And actually, I'm also excited because Lifetime Uncorked did an uh, uh, episode on this a few weeks ago. I and I that. haven't listened to it yet because I knew it was coming up. So I'm going to listen to it after this and see <laughs> how close we were in our, in our review. Um, anyways, Detective Paula Abdul says it appears to be suicide, but due to some, quote, inconsistencies, she'd like to ask Callie a few questions. Grady storms out and he's like, no, you're not talking to my wife, but Callie says it's fine. So she goes to the police station and we get our edit of the week, Man. which wins out strictly because it's so fucking weird. I cannot wait. Her entire desk is covered in Pez dispensers. And while they're talking, she keeps checking them until she finds one that has Pez in it. And she pulls it out with her teeth. And there's a close-up of her pulling the Pez out with her teeth. 
like I said, this is Paula Abdul playing, playing Paula, Abdul. Paula Abdul playing a detective. <laughs> um, Liz says there's just zero chance Jackson killed himself over Liz's death. Detective Paula Abdul knows that this all doesn't add up, but Liz does not confess to being herself. And how has nobody figured this out yet? Right? Also, why hasn't the aunt just, like, outed her at this point? This is the worst plan ever. And somehow, nobody except Aunt Rose has figured out they switched places, including the police who must have his phone and have read his text messages, you would think. Nah. (sighs) Listen. So Liz... Mm -hmm. She's only concerned about those Pez... And so you think you can dance. I don't know what more you want from her. So Liz goes to her office and starts searching through the computer. She finds a random USB on the desk and we see a bunch of invoices that don't really mean anything to me at all. But I guess she knows something, but not really. Um, Do they just say like money corporation? Like They just say like invoice, invoice. <laughs> And you know how, like, when you play solitaire on the old windows, it, like, and it, like, Uh bounces? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like that. Oh, awesome. (laughs) It just tiles them all. Okay. Uh Um, Liz goes to the cemetery at night to leave new flowers at her sister's grave, which hard pass to the cemetery at nighttime. But you do you. She says, oh, I'm so sorry, Callie. And then she sits next to her grave and smokes a cigarette and tells her sister's grave a story about getting caught smoking. And how they both got suspended because neither of them would confess to being the one that was smoking. And she's never smoked again until now. She promises Callie to take care of her family. Um, And she's like, I will always take care of your family, but I may have to take up smoking. Um, We cut to three weeks later. Oh, my God. Still pretending to be Callie, and nobody's figured it out yet. (laughs) She's getting groceries out of her van when she's approached by a man. He says that she hasn't returned a single one of his texts, and he said if she didn't, he would tell her husband about them. Grady comes outside mad as fuck and tells him to leave. And so this is the guy, if you remember in the very beginning, which why would you, that she said she almost had almost an affair. Almost had an affair with, yeah. Yeah. So Liz slaps him across the face and says that whatever he had built up in his head was just a fantasy. So he leaves and she rushes into the house. Grady follows her and she cries and swears she never slept with him. He has to believe her. He hugs her and tells her that he misses her. And then Liz has sex with her dead sister's husband on the kitchen table. Well, if you're going to do it, go big. This movie is so fucked up. Um, They're laying in bed the next morning, cuddling, and Aunt Rose busts in on them because she's going uh, to take uh, the uh, kids uh, to school. Uh, oh my God, this keeps getting worse. I know. She has no words either. <laughs> At the police station, Detective Paula Abdul is eating a sandwich and drinking coffee out of a mug with a straw in it. She straight up is playing Paula Abdul, like... Straight up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Also, I'd like to petition Lifetime to make her character into some kind of police procedural character. This is gold. No, I want a whole series based around this this character, Paula Abdul, playing Paula Abdul, playing a detective. <laughs> Lifetime, we keep giving you these golden ideas. Why don't you take one and pay us for it? Really? Um, Liz storms in and confesses to being herself and says she thinks Callie's family is in danger. At home, Grady is in the best mood ever because it's amazing what getting laid will do for you. Yep. He spins Aunt Rose around the kitchen island and says that Liz's death was a tragedy, but maybe some good will come out of it. I'm going to guess not. At the station, Detective Paula Abdul asks if she's told Grady yet, unless she's, Liz says she's going to that night. And I've heard that one before. Right? I was about to um, ask, does Paula die next? But Paula says... If someone really did kill her sister, then maybe she should keep pretending so they have time to investigate. Paula, don't, don't. (laughs) She gives Paula the USB and she says, this is our client list. Then she goes back to life as Callie. And I guess she feels weird about fucking her sister's husband because when he tries to kiss her, she shrugs him off. He's out in the garage later and a car dries up. It's the paper thrower. He says he wants to speak with Elizabeth. Grady's like, uh, she's dead. This is her sister Callie's house. Liz comes out and Grady asks if she recognizes the guy. She lies and says no. Should she? She's like, oh, no, should I? (laughs) Grady tells the guy he needs to leave and stay away from his wife. And the guy says, she's playing you for a fool. But you know why I'm here, Elizabeth. And he leaves. Um, and we cut to Grady pouring and drinking a glass of whiskey. So I guess she's confessed. Oh, no. Liz says it was only supposed to be for a week. Um, but surprisingly, Grady does not care about that. He is pissed. Well, I can't imagine why he's pissed. <laughs> Finally, he asks who that guy was. And Liz says, it's complicated. <laughs> But he kicks her out and says he never wants to see her again. Um, Cut to Aunt Rose watching the children and talking on the phone with Liz about how, quote, awful this whole situation is. Like it was just unavoidable. (laughs) She drives to the police station parking lot and tells Detective Paula Abdul to arrest the paper thrower because he's for sure the killer. She says they have to have evidence because that's how the law works. Um, Liz asks how they get it and Detective Paula Abdul says getting it will be risky. And Liz says, I don't care. Let's nail this prick. Which made me snort laugh. Right? (laughs) So she wears a wire and takes a duffel bag to a cafe. We get another edit of the week, but I cannot even explain what the fuck is happening. Oh no. Paula Abdul, there's someone typing on a computer, there's someone looking through binoculars, all sliding across the screen while Liz and Detective Paula Abdul say things like, what if he doesn't show up? What if he doesn't take the money? Wait, someone's coming. But he never comes. He never shows up. Liz starts to spiral, so Detective Paula Abdul takes her for a drive because she is a full-service police detective. Um... They talk about how bad Liz feels and Detective Paula Abdul gives her a pep talk about how there was no right in this situation. And I'm like, um, excuse me, 
there was definitely a right in this situation, and this was not it. <laughs> they drive to Aunt Rose's, and they're met in the driveway by Aunt Rose with a shotgun, because she is not fucking around. Oh, shit. Um, but she's like, oh, it's just y'all. So they play what is supposed to be Candyland, but it's just really Paula Abdul eating candy. <laughs> this could not get any better if it tried. Uh, Detective Paula Abdul says she's going to take a walk. And Aunt Rose asks if she thinks the guy is out there. And she says, no, he may be a killer, but he's not an idiot. It's freezing. <laughs> so she goes outside. Yikes. Uh, Liz keeps talking about how messed up this all is and how it's all her fault. And Aunt Rose says it's nobody's fault but the killer's. The next morning, everyone's asleep and someone walks up and up and into the house. The shotgun is sitting right there, so he picks it up. But it's just Grady. Um, they ask him to sit down so they can all talk, but he's still pretty pissed about it, so he's not really into it. Detective Paula Abdul gets a call, so Liz starts to explain about um, the killer and what they've pieced together so far. Grady says he's ruined their lives, and Detective Paula Abdul comes back and says, well... They found Finch, that's the killer, this morning. But he's dead. Dun, dun, dun! Grady yells at them again, so she, so Liz and Detective Paula Abdul leave. They're driving back and talking about how she's alone now and she doesn't blame Grady. And Aunt Rose makes Grady some hot tea and is talking to him about this. And about how Liz just lost everything and she shouldn't have, he shouldn't cut her out. And also wouldn't be good for the kids. And I'm like, listen, none of this has been good for the kids. Let's just get that out of the way. Liz goes home and takes a bath while watching old swimming videos of her and her sister. She makes dinner and sits down to eat, but she doesn't notice the man sitting in her living room smoking a cigar, which would have been pretty obvious. You, She doesn't have sinus passes. Canals? Sinuses. She doesn't have sinus. Sarah's a doctor, not me. <laughs> Um, she finally does call alexa by her name so this movie must have been sponsored by amazon (laughs) (laughs) he picks up a gun and points it at her just as grady hits the buzzer and says he wants to talk yikes gunman says to get rid of him so she calls him avery which i think is the name of the guy that callie was not sleeping with gotcha He's confused at first, but then says, okay, I'll leave. Just don't call the cops. And so he gets off the buzzer and he calls Paula Abdul. He's like, get over here, lady. Let's go. Gunman says she She scoops up an armload of Pez and starts running out the door. (laughs) She drops Donald Duck and she's like, this is an emergency, Donald. Get your shit together. (laughs) Um, The gunman has a a gun pointed at Liz's head and he says she has 10 days to get the money. Grady tells the detective to hurry. And then he, he puts in the passcode for the door and goes into the house. Liz slams the gun gunman's hand into the banister and then runs across the apartment. Grady gets the gun and Liz runs to hide. The gunman also hides. Grady finds Liz and they start crawling around in the dark, looking for the, the guy. They get to the stairs and Liz runs down, but the gunman grabs Grady around the neck with a piece of Liz's robe that he tore off when he was chasing her. He and Grady start fighting and breaking all of Liz's furniture. Grady yells at Liz to run. 
The gunman gets Grady in a chokehold and he's almost unconscious, but Liz decides to be a hero and runs back up with the gun. And in what has to be the most believable part of the, the whole movie, the gunman immediately takes it away from her and slaps her across the face. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh, but this is a hot mess. They're both lying on the floor. Um, the gunman has his gun back. It's looking pretty grim, but Liz sees a broken picture of she and Callie, and she grabs a piece of glass off the top. The gunman is shooting at Grady while he rolls around dodging bullets, which is what was really missing from the Matrix, let me tell you. <laughs> Liz says, she says, not yells, like she doesn't say, this is for Callie. She says, this is for Callie. And she slices the guy in the neck with the glass. Wow stumbles around and falls over the banister and everyone who falls off of a balcony in this movie lands in the exact same position what are the odds detective paula abdul comes and stands over the body while liz and grady get treated in the back of an ambulance they drive back to aunt rose's and have a heart to heart she starts to tell the oh the kids run up to meet them and she starts to tell them the truth but grady stops her and the kids run off to go fishing Liz says she's never understood why Callie fell for Grady, but she's starting to. And they hold hands. No! Oh, oh, wait for it. The ending says Elizabeth and Grady married nine months later. When the kids were old enough, they learned the truth. They've been happily married for more than 20 years. And then I screamed into the void, threw everything away, and started my new life as a hermit in the forest who doesn't watch movies. The end. No. Uh Uh-uh. I demand a recount. I told you. Did I not tell you? You did. You did. I just still was not prepared. Worst movie ever. I... She married her dead (laughs) son. (laughs) <laughs> oh, God. i hate it so much please tell me it's not real okay are you ready for me to tell you about the real awful story yes okay so a big city kate lockhart arrives in a small town in the hopes of organizing a local school's big neighborhood holiday to show her twin sister chris dixon that her life isn't that bad in the process, actually, I'm just reading a review for Switched at Christmas with Candace yeah, Cameron Bure. Switched at Christmas. <laughs> okay, so. Um, Which it, is a much better version, and you know how I feel about CCB. But right? that's a much better version of this movie, which is so fucked up, I cannot even believe it's a real thing. Okay, well then, um, in 1998... Lindsay Lohan arrives at summer camp where she meets Lindsay Lohan with a questionable British accent. (laughs) Um, Okay, so (laughs) I was going to play up this whole Candace Cameron Bure angle, but I couldn't sell it. Um, (laughs) I did so It's like you think I had not seen that movie more than once. (laughs) I knew that you had. That's why I was going to sell this to you. Um... (laughs) I did as much reading as I possibly could to find that nobody can find what case this is actually based on. Thank God. So even though it says inspired by true events, basically everyone is like, this must be one of those like very loosely inspired. Like they heard the word twins and that was the whole like connection. Look, this this either occurred in the 1800s (laughs) or 
It's completely made up because if this had happened in any kind of modern time, it would have been all over the fucking news. That's what everyone says. And so since there's not a real case that matches this, what I instead did was a uh, shallow dive into lots of cases involving twins. Cool. So. I like it. Please, I just need to like go scrub my brain from this experience because I'm never going to be the same. All right. (laughs) I totally get it. Um, That's awful. The more you told me about it, the more I'm like, no, hard pass. I just can't. They were married and then they told the kids, quote, when they were old enough. (laughs) When are you old enough to find your mom died and her sister has been your mom for 20 years? Like, like, okay, so at 16, you can drive. At 18, you can vote. At 21, you can drink. 21, that's the age you find out (laughs) that your mom died. And that's also the age that you turn into an alcoholic. right severe attachment issues oh my god so the story was horrible the most interesting case that i found that i think this could have been based on um happened in 1996 okay so that fits the 20 year window Mm -hmm. um gene okay and these um these uh, women are from South Korea. I have no knowledge of South Korean names. So when I mess up, please don't judge me. This is me admitting defeat now. <laughs> um, so I won't be any help. Jean- I went to high school with a guy that was a teacher in South Korea for a little while, but I can't like call him now. Sorry. Right. So Jean Young and Sunny Hong. Um, immigrated from South Korea at age 12. Mm-hmm. And they actually shared like valedictorian. They were both the valedictorian of oh, their high school mm-hmm. in Pine Valley, which is like a real fancy suburb of San Diego. Okay. Um, so they actually seemed like from the outside, the most unlikely people to wind up in court. But um, they... Both eventually took to crime. In 1996, 21-year-old Sunny was jailed for several days on credit card fraud. When she got out of jail, she discovered that her sister Jean had taken her BMW. She reported that to the police, and that led to Jean's arrest for auto theft. Six months later, the situation came to a head when Jean offered money to teenagers um, who to quote beat the crap out of my sister and if you can kill her according to court records uh that escalated quickly uh-huh. so they pretended to be door-to-door magazine salesmen which just tells you this really is the 90s because nobody's opening their door for magazine salesmen today yeah and amazon's already shoving that down your throat with your prime membership enough <laughs> um, yeah for real they forced their way into sunny's home in irvine um, with a 22 caliber pistol and they um, bound Sonny and her roommate with, with rope and duct tape. Okay. Police responded to the scene and then later arrested Jean at a car rental office near the airport in San Diego. Sure. So she's trying to like piece the fuck out ASAP. 
Head uh, back to South Korea. She heard her mom calling. <laughs> right. Um, at the Dinner's time, ready. I gotta go. At the time of her arrest, Jean had more than $4,000 in cash, along with Sonny's driver's license and credit cards. Earlier that day, she'd gone to a, <laughs> a dealership and tried to buy a Nissan 300ZX with her twin sister's ID. So she walked in and she was like, yep, that's me in the picture. Can't you see? We look just alike. That's me. It's because we're the same person. We're both. That's me. I don't know why you're questioning this. I want this car. Right. Um, I mean, and while we're talking about cars, because we only talked about this on Patreon, I bought a car, guys. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. You're like you didn't know. I know. <laughs> um, Jean Han was eventually found guilty of conspiracy to commit murder burglary, mm-hmm. and false imprisonment and sentenced to 26 years to life. She was granted parole in 2017 after serving 19 years. So that is the closest case I could find of one sister turning on the other, but there is no like but fucking this sister. Didn't, they didn't turn on each other. But it wasn't her. They didn't turn on each other, but like trying to live this double life and oh, all true. that. So um, yeah. that's the closest, but she turned, what I meant to say is except that she turned, they turn on each other. Like, um so um another case that i in fact i want to save my favorite for the end just because of their names cool um so in 2009 uh in on february 25th 2009 three (laughs) men raided a um like a luxury department store in germany Okay. And stole watches and jewelry worth about 5 million pounds. Or euros, I mean. Euros, because it's Germany. Um, mm-hmm. I can read. I'm cultured. Don't y'all judge me. I know it's euros. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, the men were caught on CCTV, and one of them left a glove behind, a la OJ. Ha! Um, police got DNA from the glove, and it led to... Twin brothers, Hassan and Abbas O, they've never released the last name, but police could not determine which brother had committed the heist or whether both uh, brothers were involved. And okay. so neither men, com- neither of the men confessed. Mm-hmm. The footage was useless because the criminals were all masked and the police finally had to let the brothers go, even though the jewelry remained missing because they couldn't pinpoint which brother was there and they could like, all they had was this one piece of DNA. Interesting. Um, and so it let them both go scot-free, um, because they couldn't identify. Uh, another story that I really love is the case of Charles and George Finn. Mm-hmm. They were both in the army air Corps during world war two. Okay. And George served as a flight instructor while Charles was a pilot of a b-17 okay and the picture that went with this article if that's them they were some lookers like really yeah um in 1952 the brothers purchased a world war world war ii era airplane from a school district with the intention of modifying it for their like new airline they were starting but the u.s government stopped the purchase because the school district was not allowed to sell the plane Oh. So the brothers refused to return the plane, and one of them flew it to the Nevada desert to try to hide it from the government. Like you do. Right. 
The FBI eventually found the aircraft and arrested the brothers. Um, a grand jury decided against prosecuting them because no witness could identify which twin actually th- flew the plane. Nice. <laughs> so the rest of these cases are actually cases of twins who got away with it or almost got away with it. Cool. Yeah. Um, in 2003, police officers in Malaysia arrested Satiz and Sabaresh Raj for being in possession of 166 kilos of weed and two kilograms of opium. Okay. They arrested... Sounds like a nice party. Right? The arrested twin had been transporting the drugs to the house where he was busted. And shortly after that, his twin brother arrived at the house and was also picked up. So it was clear that, it was clear that they were both, like, in on it. Right. Um, but the officers <laughs> didn't like tag or identify the brothers so by the time they got to jail they couldn't tell you which brother had been arrested with it in possession and which was after the fact so they were put on trial but the judge had to discharge it because (laughs) cue the circus music the cops sucked (laughs) circus music (laughs) oh man I love the circus music um <laughs> on July eighteenth, two thousand eight, mm-hmm. um, and this is one of those that's going to like drive you crazy because the twins are in fact Ronald and Donald Smith. Oh my god, I hate it! <laughs> Naming um, your kid dumb shit. Just stop it. Someone shot and killed Janai Coleman at a train station and then stole her car. Mm-hmm. Um, or Janae, it's probably Janae. Um, police later recovered the vehicle and inside they found the cigarette butt. The DNA from the cigarette butt led them to Donald Smith, who'd earlier been sent to prison for drug crimes. Donald mm-hmm. denied the crime and said that the murderer was his twin brother, Ronald. To confirm that it was Ronald, Donald asked investigators to show his relatives the CCTV footage of the murderer. Mm-hmm. Investigators did, and Donald's relatives confirmed that it was Ronald. Which I wish they had separate names because this is harder to track than like yeah. you you need a thread board for this one for real yeah. So Ronald was arrested a few days later and finger fingerprints taken from the vehicle later. Ah, oh, fingerprints. Listen, <laughs> I had to go to speech for many years to get rid of the R, and when I'm tired, I still have an R impediment. <laughs> Fingal, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm feeling very judged. Oh, <laughs> it's I'm very sorry. hard to say because everything we say has arrested and that's a hard word for me already so anyway ronald was arrested a few days later fingerprints taken from the vehicle implicated ronald and some witnesses had seen him around the area of the car he'd Mm -hmm. made phone calls from the same area ronald eventually confessed to the crime although he claimed it was a case of accidental discharge and i don't want to know what he means by that like maybe he means he accidentally shot the gun, in which case, I think that's what that means. in which case you call the police right then or call nine one one right then. That would be the correct procedure when you accidentally shoot somebody. And then in the trial, he backtracked and he said, "No, I never confessed. I said it was Donald." Okay. So Ronald's attorney added that Ronald's fingerprints were in the car because he'd helped Donald clean it. This excuse did not fly with the jury, and Ronald was sentenced to 25 years. 
25 years for killing someone and then stealing. And then lying in the courtroom. Perjury should count for something. Perjury should count for something. Um... In 2001, police arrested Darren Fernandez for breaking into the home of a lady in Dorchester, which is a, like, bougie Boston neighborhood. Yes. Um, The lady was awake during the break-in, and she heard the window shatter, so she called the police. They arrived to find Darren trying to escape from the home. He'd not attacked the lady, but he'd injured himself during the break-in, so he couldn't even do that right. (laughs) Idiot. (laughs) Police ran his DNA through their database and discovered that it matched two earlier rapes that had been committed in the same area. Not cool, bro. Nope. Um, In both instances, a man had broken into a lady's home while she slept and raped her. But the investigators soon found that Darren had a twin brother named Damien who could have committed one or both of the rapes because they were identical twins. Their DNA matched. These kids are just lashing out because their parents named them stupid things. (laughs) Police were able to convict Darren for the first rape because the victim could actually describe a tattoo on his arm. Um, The second case remained inconclusive even after Darren was tried twice. The first trial, investigators attempted to pin the rape on him by claiming that he'd been in the area around the time it happened. But that was unsuccessful because he couldn't then prove that Damien wasn't in the area. Right. Um, During the second trial, the assistant district attorney um, took the jury to a home in Dorchester where Darren had been employed to paint. There, she showed them how Darren climbed a ladder to survey the neighborhood and scout out his next next victim. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that actually led to some of the jurors questioning, like they were more into it before they went on this field trip. And so then it wound up a hung jury. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Let's see, what was these? Um, Oh, yeah, this one's rough. Um, Jerome and Tyrone Cooper. (laughs) One night in November 1999, a 26-year-old student at the Kendall College of Art and Design in Grand Rapids, Michigan, had finished a night class and was on her way to her car when she was attacked and raped. DNA tests led police to Jerome Cooper, but they soon realized that his twin brother, Tyrone, could have been the attacker. Both of them were registered sex offenders and lived in the area. The look of disgust. I wish I could draw that for this week's episode. The one that you just gave. I hate it. At the time, limitations in DNA meant that the investigators could not tell which brother was the rapist. Um, And so then they thought they'd actually found a solution um, because a, um, a case in Boston implicated uh, Dwayne McNair Um, which was, he was one of another set of twins in a rape case in Boston. Um, because this new DNA test was able to, thank you, Elliot. Um, this, uh, new DNA test was able to determine like micro differences between the twins. And so it implicated that guy, but the people in Michigan refused to accept this DNA test Probably because the cost in the Boston case was a hundred and twenty thousand dollars, and yep, Grand, Grand Rapids was it. like, we don't have that kind of money. Yeah. Um. 
So, um, that one was never, actually, I don't know how that one wound up because then this go went into a tangent. Um, this goes into a tangent about the DNA stuff. And so it doesn't tell you. So I guess that neither one was, uh, convicted of it. Um, let me see before I go to my favorite, which other one? Nope. That's it. Okay. My favorite, and I think this one was covered on a, um, and that's why we drink, so it should sound familiar to you, I think, but it might have actually been a uh, My Favorite Murder, which I know you don't listen to. Um, But this is my favorite set of twin names of all time. Oh, God. Albert Ebenezer Fox and Ebenezer Albert Fox. This wasn't, and that's why we drink. It was? Okay. (laughs) I thought so. So they were not technically she, I, like mom just had no more names. She's like, I, I, I don't know. I signed up for one. <laughs> that would be me if I ever had twins. We're like, oh, no. Do, do you remember uh, when Monica and Chandler had their twins? Yes. He's like, we only ordered one. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so they were um, in 1904 was when their case was so we don't actually know if they were identical twins but they looked very similar um Mm -hmm. and so they looked so alike that when they were babies or when they were kids their parents had to attach colored ribbons to their clothes to tell them apart which i have a i have a set of friend twins who are friends of mine one of them is actually married to one of my friends and they're not identical twins but they look so much alike and then my friend's little boy, their oldest boy, looks just like the two of them. And, I'm like, and I just call them the triplets now. <laughs> That's funny. Um, there's, oh, it's one of the earliest episodes of Gilmore Girls. It might even be the, um, the, the pilot. But there's an episode where twins are getting married, two twins, and it's all happening at Lorelai's Inn. And so uh, Michelle, who's the like desk clerk, puts a post-it note on one of their backs so he can tell which set of twins is which. <laughs> oh my God. Um, anyway, so the, they also, because they're similar names, got away with a lot of crimes because like it was hard to keep records with really the same name and the same face. Weird. Um, and mm-hmm. 1904. So, yeah. um, the, they, would actually plan their crimes so that they never went together. Um, and that way one, one twin could claim innocence and like be seen by witnesses. So the police couldn't ever like tell for sure which brother had committed the crime. And so they went a while. Um, they had such frequent run-ins with the law that the police started like taking their fingerprints and identifying them by their scars. And they are actually the reason that we do fingerprinting now. And that, cool. Yeah, and that that is part of our forensics process. Um, in fact, in 1904, they became the first people to be prosecuted using fingerprint evidence. Cool. Um, they lived on poaching and stealing, um, like poultry and fowl. Um, and they they also had a few legal jobs. They captured foxes and uh, like on farms. And they built a police station that they were later arrested and held in. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that. Some Ted Bundy shit. Right. Like, I know how to get out of here. I built this place. Right. <laughs> um, 
despite like setting up all of these um, instances where they could get away with it, they were convicted over 200 times in their lifetime. So they weren't very good at it. They were not good at getting away with it. <laughs> There's a picture of them. And what's funny is I don't think they look that much alike. Oh, no, I could tell them apart. Yeah. So maybe in the 1900s, like in the early 1900s, people just needed glasses more. Well, yeah, well, because it's expensive to have glasses and so they didn't have the money. And so they were just like, you know what? My vision's not that bad. <laughs> or they just had a monocle and so they only <laughs> used it. They can only see the left twin or the right right twin. <laughs> they only use it at fancy parties because the monocle is so fancy. Right, of course. <laughs> What's so happening? that is my shallow dive into twin crimes since this movie cannot possibly be based on a real case. This movie, the real case that this movie is me because I'm. <laughs> you're your own twin. I am scarred for life. <laughs> oh, you're like the real I'm... victim of this crime is what you're saying. <laughs> It was so bad. Look, I can handle a lot of weird shit in a Lifetime movie. This was over the top. I mean, no, no. If this really happened, if this was your family, I need you to tell me because I need to know what happened when you finally told those poor children (laughs) that their mom died 20 years ago. And if you are the poor child... Email us and we will buy you a drink or several. You've we earned buy- it. Yeah. Oh my god. Ugh. Seriously, it had me really thinking about whether or not we should keep going. So, do you want to hear <gasps> some good news? Yes. So, this episode will hit Wednesday. Mm-hmm. And then the next time everyone hears from us, we will have been together in the same place in person. I am so good. Um, I'm so pumped. Have I already started packing? Yes. Am I taking more on this trip than I did on my last trip out of state? Yes. <laughs> Do I care? No. Yeah. So, um, I have not started I'm packing. Super pumped. But I'm going to get to meet Dr. Sarah. I'm so excited. Yeah, we're so excited. Like, this is so much fun. This is a much needed vacation and trip. And, um, I feel like we should go live on Instagram at some point. At some point, yeah. Just to celebrate that we're in the same room. I know. That never happens. So, right. yes, we should definitely do that. Watch for our Instagram live. We'll do that. And we are, well, we're all supposed to be preparing cases to, like, talk about. Um, and I have not started that yet. So the case that I am going to do for this week's Patreon episode will be the case that I bring to y'all because I can't do two rounds of research this week. Oh my God. So the, just think we're going to record Thursday night and then Friday morning I'm leaving and I'll see you Friday afternoon. I know. Woo! <laughs> so happy. All right. So um, guys, we love and appreciate every one of you. And Elliot does too. You can hear his squeaker toy. Elliot does. I second. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And if you love and appreciate us or like us, or if you hate us and you listen to us out of Stockholm Syndrome, that's okay. Give us a follow on Instagram at Lifetime Sentence. 
or on, you almost said <laughs> I did. Um, or on Facebook at Lifetime Sentence. No, Facebook.com slash Lifetime Sentence. Yeah, you can just search for Lifetime Sentence. Like at Facebook, we're, just search for us at Lifetime Sentence. Like we're cool. We're on Twitter at Life Sentence Pod. And um, email us at Lifetime Sentence Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, show notes and things that are supposed to be on the online but probably aren't are at lifetimesentence.com. <laughs> um, and then, of course, uh, follow us at Patreon for bonus episodes and yes. right now Unsolved Mysteries. And that is yes. so much fun at patreon.com slash lifetime sentence. And in case you're like on the fence about subscribing to Patreon and listening to us talk about Unsolved Mysteries, next week, since we are going to be out of town on vacation, we're going to bring you one of those episodes so you can listen before you buy. Because we understand that you want to try stuff before you buy it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so, yeah. We love you and we appreciate we you. And we do. we just want to remind you to eat your vegetables. Charge your phone. Bye. Bye. This has been Lifetime Sentence, where the truth really is stranger than fiction. Thanks for listening.